Well, I uh, was spending some time this week thinking about this. Fire. Fire. And how can you think about fire and not start one? Now, this is a fairly tame flame for those who know me. Uh, if I could have, I would have built a very large fire here, but, uh, you know, I don't know that we have the ventilation system for that. So here's the fire for us today. Fire is a fascinating thing. It is such a source of our strength and our, and our sustenance. I mean, we, we live by this flame. We are warmed in the cold to survive the bitter cold by the heat of the flame. We are uh, allowed to eat so many things as we cook through the flame. We are warmed by its light. We are uh, illumined as we walk in the light of this sunshine that we love so much and that we miss a little this time of year. And at the same time, as much as we love uh, and draw this, this life from this, this amazing thing called fire, we have this, this very healthy respect for it, don't we? It'll burn us. You, you don't play with fire or you will be burned, right? Isn't that how it goes? I remember as a young, young kid, uh, our house had a big wood stove and that, it had one of those old doors with the, the wire handle, you know? And when it was locked, it was up. And I was just a little guy, maybe, I don't know, four or five years old, and I was backed up to the fire, warming up on a cold morning. Now it was a night. It was nighttime, I think, because everybody was there in the room. And, and my pajamas got hung on that handle. And all of a sudden, when I went to walk away, the fire began to pull me in. And in my mind, I thought, I was going into the fiery furnace. I mean, I was convinced. I didn't know what was holding me, but I figured I was going to be burned, burned alive right there. And so I started doing the cartoon, running in place and screaming, and my, my little feet were running. I was scared to death. And my dad came and saved me, and I'm sure they laughed a bit later on that night at the scene. There is a healthy respect for fire, as there should be. I mean, you think about how the Lord has chosen to reveal himself. So often it is with fire. Think about Moses' interaction when he was 80 years old on Mount uh, uh, Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai. Interesting enough. He was shepherding the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro, and he saw this, this bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And so he turned aside, it says, and he went over to investigate the bush. And as he drew near... The Lord spoke to him from the bush and said, Moses, don't come any farther. You need to remove your sandals for the ground upon which you stand is what? Holy. So there is a connection between holiness and fire. And it is chosen, the, the, the way that God has chosen to reveal himself often is in this connection. Holiness is accompanied with this, this presence of God in, in flame and fire. And Moses was uh, engaged by the Lord, and he finds himself back at the same mountain a number of years later with the people that he has delivered through God's miraculous hand and brought now their camp. They are arrayed at the base of Mount Sinai. And at the middle, the solar 
uh, the, what do you call that? The, the, the flaming center, the burning uh, center of their solar system of the camp is this pillar of fire of God's presence as he dwells now in the tabernacle. So as you think about this flame, isn't that a, just a beautiful flame? Don't you just have this desire to pass? Put, okay, don't do that, kids. Don't, don't do that. Think of how Moses warned the people in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a fascinating warning. After the law has been given, he says these words. Take care, O Israel, people of God. Take care. Be warned. Lest you forget the covenant of your God, which he made with you, and, and make a carved image in the, or the form of anything to the Lord, that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. Now, when you see that verse in our day, you know, I, I don't hear that on the radio enough. I, I, he's a jealous God. Jealous for, for your worship because of his worth. He's not, he's not jealous of you because you're so awesome. Now, he sets his love on us, to be clear. But he is jealous because he is worthy and deserving of the worship of every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth. That is the jealousy that he has for his own glory. And in that, he is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. So, with that in view, I want you to kind of watch the connection here between fire and holiness. Think of all of the ground that we've covered already, all these sacrifices. It's all talking about being set upon this altar, the the, the burning fire of these offerings. And we move now from the focus on the offerings into now the focus on the mediators or the priesthood that has to be ordained and established. So let's jump in here. I titled this sermon, Holy Fire and Holy Men. Uh, the su Sunday after Thanksgiving, the sermon title will be Holy Fire and Unholy Men uh, as we go through chapters 9 and 10. So the first part of this priesthood examination, uh, Leviticus 6, 8 through 8, 36. Let's start with the ever-burning flames. Uh, the focus here is on the burnt offering. Basically, we're going to cover a lot of ground that we've covered already, only with the focus upon the role of the priests in these sacrifices. The ever-burning flames. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth, on the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his uh, linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on the other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. Now, just a few observations here. God is so interested in all of the mechanics of the worship of him and the purity and the care for which they are to do it that it's not just burn some things. He's talking now about how do you deal with the ashes and the clothes that are to be worn when dealing with the ashes in this step, and then change clothes again, and then haul the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. 
Now, the other thing to keep in mind here is this is no small task. Ask yourself, how many sacrifices have been altered, uh, offered on this altar on a given day? Most of the bones would not have been burned at the heat uh, over an open flame in this way. The, the, the bones are going to be remaining there. I think you have to get up over 1,400 degrees to really do um, fire destruction to the bones. And even that, sometimes it has to be shaken and pulverized uh, in cremation. So this open flame would have been left with a, a lot of debris and those ashes. And you know, if you've been camping, you don't get a good fire if you let the ashes pile up. So each morning, the task is keep the fire burning and remove the ashes and all the leftover uh, from the burnt offerings the day before. Everything that's left is to be cleaned out and moved outside the camp. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn it uh, burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Have you ever seen those survival shows? How important it is for them to keep their fire burning? You know, like the alone one they did up on the island over here. It's wet and they're trying to keep that fire going. And what a problem it is when that fire goes out. It's a lot of work to keep a fire burning 24-7. Here's the question. Why? Why is it such a big deal that the fire burn 24-7? It cannot go out. They're in the wilderness. This is a ton of wood. Think of all the work that goes into gathering the wood, bringing it in, cutting the wood, and keeping that fire burning. Oh, that in itself is a monumental task. Why? I think there's a few things this would have communicated to Israel and I think, communicate to us as well. First of all, the burning of the fire on the altar was a constant reminder of the open access to the Lord. How do you come into His presence? You come through the flames, through the blood of the sacrifice. That is the only way you come to God. And the fact that that fire was burning 24-7 was a reminder that we can come. We can come into his presence. That fire is there. It's okay. It's going to be okay. We can bring that offering. We can come. Another thing that would have been in view is this constant reminder of the promise of God. There is mercy to be found with this God. There is forgiveness. There is atonement. And that fire is a reminder not only of the potential future atonement, but of the past atonement. He has forgiven us, and He will forgive us. That fire burns. It's also, however, a reminder of the eternal fire of God's wrath. I was struck by this. I, I just was sitting in this text and thinking it through, and then all of a sudden it hit me. Where else is, is it communicated to us in the Word of God that the fire will never go out? The eternal flames will burn forever in the fires of hell. The lake of fire is a fire that God will keep burning forever. It is a fire that calls us to account for our sin, to deal with a righteous and holy God, or face judgment and fire. 
fire. It's the fire of his wrath, of his perfect justice. It's a reminder to us here. So the ever-burning flames at the beginning here. Now, chapter 6, 14 through chapter 7, 38. Um, this is largely review. So we're going to move quickly through this. I've got my good friend Max McLean. He's going to read for us again. Um, this is long. Hang in there. It's about seven minutes. Um, I'm glad to see so many Bibles here. Just follow along with the text or follow along on the screen. And watch for this. Provision through sacrifice. Provision through sacrifice. Let's begin. And this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar. And one shall take from it a handful of the fine flour of the grain offering and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering, and burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the rest of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In the court of the tent of meeting they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven, I have given it as their portion of my food offerings. It is a thing most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat of it, as decreed forever throughout your generations, from the Lord's food offerings. Whatever touches them shall become holy. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering that Aaron and his sons shall offer to the Lord on the day when he is anointed, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour, as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half in the evening. It shall be made with oil on a griddle. You shall bring it well mixed in baked pieces like a grain offering, and offer it for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest from among Aaron's sons, who is anointed to succeed him, shall offer it to the Lord as decreed forever. The whole of it shall be burned. Every grain offering of a priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten in the court of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy, and when any of its blood is splashed on a garment, you shall wash that on which it was splashed in a holy place. And the earthenware vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. But if it is boiled in a bronze vessel, that shall be scoured and rinsed in water. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It is most holy. But no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burned up with fire. Chapter 7. This is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering, and its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar. And all its fat shall be offered, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There is one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. 
and the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. And every grain offering baked in the oven and all that is prepared on a pan or a griddle shall belong to the priest who offers it. And every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall be shared equally among all the sons of Aaron. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread, and from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice, and on the next day what remains of it shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who are clean may eat flesh, but the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanness, or an unclean beast, or any unclean detestable creature, and then eats some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, that person shall be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, You shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat, the fat of an animal that dies of itself, and the fat of one that is torn by beasts, may be put to any other use, but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall eat no blood whatever, whether of fowl or of animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. This is the portion of Aaron and of his sons from the Lord's food offerings from the day they were presented to serve as priests of the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel from the day that he anointed them. It is a perpetual due throughout their generations. 
This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai, on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Okay. Good job. You made it through. I had a friend tell me one time that God is only worried about the big stuff. It's passages like this that prove my point. He is very much engaged at all the levels of detail you could imagine. Think molecules. Think atoms. The tiniest things He ordains. He is concerned with all of these things. And we will see as Leviticus unfolds how precise He is and how they are to do these things and the way the priests are to engage and interact with these things. So, just a few thoughts. One thing just to note here, the ordination offering, if you're looking through and you're like, wait, where is that? We just, you know, we covered all these, but where's the ordination offering? That's coming in chapter 8. That, that's, a, that's a setup for where we're going in chapter 8. So we're going to look at that in the next chapter. A few just observations from these many verses. One is the blessings of obedience to the Lord. This is that Mosaic covenant language. Do these things. This is a blessing to obey. However, the consequences of disobedience are real, right? I mean, if you, if you are unclean and you begin to eat of this sacrificed food, you are to be cut off from the people. Some believe that was death. Others believe maybe not quite as, as, as strict a, a punishment of that, but that is a big deal. So you don't just you know, skip into the offering experience and, and just grab whatever. No, you prepare yourself because the stakes are high. Everything has to be looked at, examined, considered, and prepared for. This is the same God we serve. He loves to bless obedience, but disobedience is a big deal to the Lord. It's also interesting to note here the holy vocation of the priesthood. Aaron and his sons are about to enter into this new experience, this, this lifelong journey of serving as, as really mediators between God and his people. And there's a few realities that this brings. One is the weight and responsibility of it. There should be a somber reality for these uh, of, of Aaron and his boys setting in. All of those who, who are in this Levitical line should be taking notes. This is a big deal. This is our profession, and it's, it's weighty. It's serious. We're going to see the contrast of this in chapters 9, or especially in 10, of why it's such a big deal. But also, coming with this is the joy of mediating the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, to see sinners come in carrying their own sins and the animal then taking upon them that those sins and then dying in their place and forgiveness granted the mercy of God and his grace a joyous occasion every day serving in this way it's true in our day as pastors carry this weight this responsibility to care for and shepherd the flock entrusted as elders seek to love and lead and feed the flock we get the front row seat of of seeing god work and it's wonderful there's no better place to be 
But it's also weighty. You enter into the weight and the pain and the struggle as well. There's also a display here throughout in a lot of different ways, as you note, as we look through these verses, about the provision through sacrifice. So as people are bringing their sacrifices of worship to the Lord and giving generously, joyfully to the Lord as as commanded, the priests are taken care of. This is a big deal because the Levitical line, they have no land. They were not apportioned any of the land. Their work, their profession is full-time work in the temple courts. That's what they do. So how are they going to feed themselves? Well, they are provided for through the worship of the believers, of the church in our day. And we are just grateful for your faithful, joyful sacrifices of sacrificial giving, both to support the staff here at this church and our missionaries abroad. It continues to this day. God provides for those who are vocational elders in his church in the same way in our day. So there's other things to note in there, but for the sake of time, I want to move on to this chapter 8, this ordination celebration where Aaron and his sons are now brought into this, this ceremony of ordination before the Lord. So chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and two rams and the basket of unleavened bread and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as he, uh, as the Lord commanded him. Now, just have to say this note, maybe in your Bible, underline how often that shows up. It's not a, it's not a throwaway sentence. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. This is not Moses' idea. This isn't nepotism, right? I'm going to give my job, my brother's job here. No, this is God's doing. Moses is simply obeying and doing as God has called him to. And he gathered the congregation, he gathered the sacrifices, and met there at the tent of meeting. So just a note here, Aaron and his sons, Aaron is the brother of Moses. He was brought in initially, we, we learn in the story, to help Moses who struggled with speaking and was afraid to talk to Pharaoh. And so he leaned upon his brother and the Lord allowed him to come in in that way. And he has been chosen by God to serve as the first high priest and his generations as well. It's, it's handed on generation to generation. This is the, the beginning of the Levitical line and reminding ourselves who this, this high priest was. He was in that day the chief mediator between God and the people. Moses is going to be stepping out of the scene. This, this role of, of mediator that Moses has played, he is going to be stepping back from now and Aaron Uh, is to take that high priesthood role and then on down the line from there. And that's how it carries forward beyond Moses. So let's consider some of these things. Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. That's important to note. This isn't his idea. This is God's idea. The congregation is there. They're gathered at the tent. They're all looking on. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and he washed them with water. 
And he put a coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him. And in the breastpiece, he placed the urim and the thummim. And he set the turban on his head. And on the turban in front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, a word here for those who are with us in Exodus. Are you having memories of this? Exodus 28 and 29. We, we covered these in great detail when God commanded them to be created and put together and woven and, and made. And uh, so that happened in Exodus 28. And the, the phrase there was, they are holy garments for glory and beauty. This is cool. So the priesthood was to be set apart in a very distinct way for the glory of God and a display of beauty before the congregation in that mediator role. What's interesting is when you study the pagan practices of the day, a lot of what they have come out of for 400 years in Egypt is these pagan rituals were conducted by priests who were largely naked or barely clothed at all. That was kind of the ordinary lay of the land in the day. God says, no, no, no. The priests that are going to minister my grace, my my covenant here, they are going to be clothed with glory and beauty. That's a fascinating set of contrast here. So here's what it would have looked like. I like this artist's rendering. It's a little bit hard to see on the screen, all of these different things. The ephod here and uh, the breastpiece here, 12 stones, very precious stones, each of them um, representing one of the 12 tribes close to the heart of the high priest. On his shoulders would be two stones of onyx. Engraved on each of those would be six of the tribes on this shoulder, six of the tribes on this shoulder. Why on his shoulders? because the high priest was bearing the weight of their sins before God. We'll see more of that as we move through Exodus. Uh, His robe had pomegranates, and on those were bells. And so as he moved through the temple and worked day after day, you would hear him moving. And that will prove important in the chapters to come as well when we consider the Day of Atonement and all of those things. The turban, this is fascinating. On the turban, right up here, is a golden plate tied with blue string or blue cords. And on the plate, it says, holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord or holiness to the Lord. Love that. This priest is to be holy to the Lord in his representation and his mediation of the people and their sins. It is so important that the priest be set apart, be holy before the Lord. There's other details to note, but for the sake of time, that's, that's enough here just to have this in our minds as we see these things coming together. So the priests are washed, and then the high priest is clothed, and then the anointing oil is to be um, uh, set up on various things. Listen to how Moses then moves with this anointing oil. Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it. Consider the time that this would take. 
He's moving through and he's consecrating every single item that is in the tabernacle with this precious anointing oil. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and uh, on the utensils and the basin and the stand and he consecrated them. He, He set them apart with this. These are no longer ordinary. They are holy. And then he came to Aaron. So everything else is sprinkled with oil, but Aaron, look at this, he poured some oil on the head of Aaron. And we know the psalm, how good and pleasant it is uh, when brothers dwell in unity. It's like uh, the oil that runs down into Aaron's beard. This, I think, is a memory of that celebration of this, this consecration of the high priest. He anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and did the same for them. He clothed them and tied sashes on their waists and bound, uh, bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so this is all taking place, setting apart the priests to be holy, consecrated to the Lord. Now, the ordination offering, I'm going to have Brother McLean from the ESV Audio Bible read a little farther for us, and then we'll make some observations. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering, and he killed it, and Moses took the blood, and with his finger put it on the horns of the altar around it, and purified the altar, and poured out the blood at the base of the altar, and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails, and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin, and its flesh, and its dung, he burned up with fire outside the camp, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it, and Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat. He washed the entrails and the legs with water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it, and Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh. And out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments, and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. 
And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire. And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days, until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die, for so I have been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. Okay. Wow. Imagine two things here. First of all, imagine that you're part of the congregation and you're watching these things take place. This takes time. This would have been a, a long process, a full work throughout the day. First, offering the first sacrifice, the bull. You see all the priests lay their hands on the head of this. This is a large animal. And he is the first sacrifice killed. And then the ram, and then another ram, right? And then the bread, and all of it's set together. And then he stacks it together, and there's, there's blood, and there's bread, and there's oil, and, and, and he puts it in their hands, and they wave it before the Lord together. And then that is burned. Imagine watching this as a member of the congregation of Israel. These men are being set apart, sanctified distinctly, uniquely to a role that God has assigned them to play. Now, put yourself in Aaron's shoes. Do you feel increasingly as each sacrifice passes, as this time passes, as each of the seven days pass of this ordination ceremony? Do you feel this increasing responsibility, this weight, the significance of this role? And what is he thinking about his sons? Is it, is it Hophni and Phinehas, I believe, his two sons? We're going to look at them. Are they giggling? You guys paying attention, right? You listening? Quit goofing off. Don't step on each other's toes. I don't know what's going on. We get a little sense that these two sons maybe weren't as dialed in as Aaron was. We'll see that in chapter 10. This would have been a day that Aaron would have never forgotten. A week, really, that he would have never forgotten. Seven days of consecration offerings. This is a lot of resource. Day after day after day, they are to do this over and then over again, and then over again, hands on another animal, and it bleeds out and dies and burns over and over. What does it say about the sins of these men? It's real. It's real. The priests were sinners as well. The holiness of God requires that the sins even of the mediator be addressed in great care and great responsibility. It's interesting to me how much blood was spilled. Just imagine being Aaron or his sons and having the oil mixed with the blood of the sacrifice sprinkled on you. You're, you're literally now, you're covered in the blood of the substitute who died for you, to atone for your sins. 
The imagery here is real. It's inescapable. The it should have been me experience is seven days long. These men are feeling this. In the midst of it all is grace, mercy, forgiveness. These unholy men are moved into the service of a holy God. They are in His proximity. They live in court with God the whole week long. Can't help but think of our Savior, Jesus, our sinless high priest. Every detail of Aaron and his high priesthood was purposed to point us to Jesus. From everything he wore to everything he did and all the requirements of this ordination ceremony, it's all about Christ, our great high priest, who, by the way, was without sin. He didn't need to sacrifice. He didn't have to be sprinkled by the blood of any animal. In fact, when he came to be baptized by John, do you remember this? He came into the water and John says, listen, you don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. Right? You don't need to, this baptism of repentance or, or washing or purification. I need this from you, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, no. I need you to do this to fulfill all righteousness. There's no sin in me. That's not being denied. But this work, this, this, this work is the ordination service. Just like Moses brought Aaron, so John the Baptist prepared everything and then baptized Jesus. And he was clothed with glory from on high when he came up out of the water. And the Lord said, Behold, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. I'm well pleased with Him. There's no sin in this one. 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul writes this, There is one God. There is one mediator. All of this Levitical focus is to draw our attention to this one. The one mediator. One mediator between God and men. His name is Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus. So our response this morning, as we consider these things, as we think of the priesthood, the high priest, all of the work to make him ready to be in God's presence, and the contrast then with this one, our mediator, who had no sin. Think of these words from the book of Hebrews. Believers, Since then, we have a great high priest. We do. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, to our faith in Him, to our trust in Him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. One of the reasons the incarnation is such good news for us is that God experienced what it was like to walk on this earth, to deal with temptation. The Israelites did 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus did 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by Satan directly himself. He did it without sin. Something the Israelites just can't say over the 40-year journey they had. 
tempted in every respect as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What strikes me as amazing about our great high priest is that he was not just the mediator. He was the sacrifice. He offered himself. He gave his blood to cover our sins. He was the lamb without blemish. The substitute sacrifice. Friends, the reality is that the New Testament speaks about those who place their trust in Jesus as forgiven, set free from sin and and, and, and victors over death and, and Satan. Those who are heirs and who will live forever with God. Those who have the, the, the access that's given now to come to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. Scriptures speak that we are now called priests. That, that all of us are, are to be priests unto the Lord. So think of all that this took place all of the the blood that had to be shed here, and then think of the blood of Christ. Once for all sacrifice and its impact on us. We, my friends, are to wear, just like the high priest wore, on our foreheads, set apart for the glory of God. We are to be holy to the Lord. To love Him, to be saved by Him, is to Say no to sin, to say no to the world, to say no to ungodliness, and to say yes to righteousness. I want to walk holy. I want to walk in the light. I want to represent you as a priest to this world, to mediate your grace, to shine to those in need. We are priests, friends. Listen to this. 1 Peter 2.9 You believers... You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, for God's own possession, that you may proclaim. You see the, that? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so believers, this week is our opportunity to remember that everywhere we go, Every word we speak, we are set apart by His grace. We are set apart by the blood of the sacrifice. We are set apart to be holy and to proclaim this good news of His gospel. How inconsistent it would be for us to walk in the dark and proclaim the gospel. How totally upside down it would be for Aaron to live his life in blatant disregard and disobedience to God, and then offer mediation for the sins of others. This is our opportunity. This is our calling. This is our work this week. We have to choose obedience. Through His power, through all that the gospel has accomplished, we are to apply then that work and live lives of holiness so that those who would see us would say, What's going on there? Something different there. They seem set apart, distinct. And we can say, 
by God's grace, I've got good news for you. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider this glorious truth, we once again draw our attention to Jesus Christ. We consider these verses and all the details and all of the things that you commanded for Moses and Aaron and the, the, the people of Israel. It draws our focus back to our need and your supply, to our desperation and lack of qualification and to the true qualification of the sinless sacrifice of Jesus our Savior. We delight in him, Lord, and I pray that all who are here would turn from their sins and trust Jesus as Lord, would reckon with your righteousness and your holiness and your call that we are to be holy, to deal with the reality that we are a sinful people. We are rebels. We live in the dark. We love the dark left to ourselves. Oh, Lord, in your grace, stir, open eyes, renew hearts, turn us from our darkness and to your glorious light. Set us free to run in holiness as a priesthood and proclaim your excellency. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.